Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we're excited to welcome Chad Orton to the podcast. Chad, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're excited to have you. And just as a brief introduction, Chad M. Orton is a curator with the Historic Sites Division in the Church History Department. He has a master's degree from BYU, and he's authored several books and an article for BYU Studies called Those They Left Behind, A Look at Missionary Wives and Children, which we'll be talking about today. He has seven children and soon to be 12 grandchildren. So very that's exciting. very exciting. Yeah. We're looking forward to our discussion today because we have a great opportunity in this episode to honor the lives of the wives of early missionaries just as we honor the missionaries themselves. So we appreciate you coming on and helping us in in that discussion. Well, thank you. Yeah, sharing your expertise and research. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. In the early church, Chad, as you have explored and written, missionary calls were much different than they are today. Rather than volunteering or signing up, husbands and fathers could be called during general conference or notified via letter. There was no warning. It was very unexpected at times. And as members of the church, I think we're accustomed to hearing about the names and the experiences of these early missionaries, but we don't often hear very much about their wives or their children that were left behind. And it's important, and we want to acknowledge today, that missionary work and the growth of the church just would not have been possible without these stalwart women Mm -hmm. and children who kind of kept things going at home. And so that's what we want to talk with you about today. And I guess in your time and in researching this and in studying this, we'd love for you to share some of the contributions by the wives of these early missionaries. Why is it important that we recognize them and their sacrifice? Well, basically, missionary work could not have happened without supportive women and children. Mm -hmm. There's been some research, and probably about 80% of those who were called in the 19th century left a wife behind. That's significant. It's a significant number. Taken all together, it's probably around 10,000 women who had to support their husbands. You know, if any of one has ancestors who go back into the 19th century, if you go back and check, you probably had a missionary wife in your past. I did. We don't know much about her. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't have done this, and, and their mission was different from their husband's. Their mission was to carry on as best they could. On the frontier. On the frontier. (laughs) And they didn't have the safety nets that we have today. They frequently had to produce their own food. Life of a woman on the frontier was difficult as it was. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you had to add your husband's duties to your own. And, And one missionary came back and spoke to a group of women and said, I had much rather be a missionary than a missionary's wife (laughs) because they have the hardest aspect of this mission. And that's something that we don't recognize. The faith that these women showed in doing what they were asked to do, allowing their husband to go forth, not only allowed the church to grow, but it set a great example for each of us today, I believe. And I love in your essay, you say these women, and I like that we talk about children because Mm -hmm. the children often had to fill these shoes. They are the unsung heroes, right, of the restoration. Like you said, it, it could not have happened without them. Absolutely. Chad, we mentioned that you wrote this article about specifically missionary wives and their children. And we would love to know, you you mentioned this is near and dear to your heart. So we'd just love to know what led you to research this topic and 
also, will you just please share with us one or two of the stories you discovered and that kind of stand out to you? Yeah. I came through this twofold approach. I was working on a biography of a fellow named Henry Smith Tanner. And I came to discover that he was called as a missionary within, a, I can't remember, a day or two after he was married and then called again later to be a mission president. And his wife left a record of her experiences. It was a reminiscence. It's a wonderful little account talking about her experiences. Which is probably rare, right? Yes. There are so few records. And at the time, I was doing acquisition work for the church history department. And in a space of a short period of time, people brought forth a number of collections of missionary wives' records. Wow, that's fantastic. That I had a chance to catalog and go through. And as I was reading these, I thought, this is a wonderful story. It really needs to be told. And as I talked to other people, they would say, well, I've got this account. Let me share it with you. And so, you know, I kept a big folder and put these in until eventually I had what I thought were enough accounts and also um, a time that I published this article. Which we will link to for sure yeah. for all of our listeners. And, and one of the things that I hope will come from this experience is that people will say, we have an account of our ancestor. Kind of discovery, right? Discovery. We ought to share this and let this story be known, not all, just in the family, but outside the family, wherever it is, because the, the stories of these women are, are absolutely incredible. Well, and I'm just thinking I get those prompts from Family Search. If anyone's, you know, signed up for Family Search, and sometimes it's like, you have a missionary in your family. And I'm just imagining what it would be like if it said, you have a missionary wife in your family. Because, I mean, just reading your article and hearing this, their story is probably more exciting. Oh, it is. <laughs> well, and they did view it as a mission, right? They, they like, did. Like, for these women and children, they viewed, I'm on a mission, I have a mission too. Yes, and part of it is that they had to approach that, that there were, you know, sometimes, it was difficult. And so, so you think, I'm on a mission. I'm willing to do the things that are required of a mission. Mm -hmm. Meaning that there was kind of a sacrifice and, and faith involved, right? They weren't just kind of like, ah, oh, my husband's doing this thing for the church and we just yeah. are carrying on. Yeah, it was, it was a joint mission, mm -hmm. if, you know, if ever there was one. I mean, now we have it with parents and their children. It's really a joint mission. You're supportive. You do the things that you can. But I think it was also a reminder to the local saints that, they had a responsibility for these women. And, and church leaders, you have a responsibility to help these women on their missions as well as these husbands on mm -hmm. theirs. Mm -hmm. Can you just share a couple stories that stand out to you? You know, one of the first ones I read that really stuck with me was an individual named Mary Benyon. She kept a journal, and I couldn't share it all, but one of the entries that really jumped out to me early on is in this process was she was talking about how difficult it was to fix the pig pen fence. Mm -hmm. That she would go out and she'd fix it and then the pigs would get out and she'd go back to do it again. And then she wrote down, it's like, boy, I sure feel like I need a man. Then you find the rest of the story is that at the time, Mary is in her third trimester of her seventh pregnancy. Oh, wow. Tired, worn out, and she's having to do this, not only in those conditions, but at the time, you typically dressed in a long pioneer... Ankle-length dress, Ankle-length right? dress, and she's having to do it. She's stating, it's hard enough for me to do my work, let alone take on the responsibilities 
Remarkable. Okay. These women are remarkable. Mm-hmm. When Brigham Young went on his mission to England, Marianne, his wife, did not have a place to live. She was supposed to stay in some old deserted army barracks that first year, but she got kicked out. And she was not going to go through that again. She spent the winter in, in a stable. And so she built a log cabin. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the log cabin that Brigham Young first lives when he gets to Nauvoo. And they lived there for several years until the Brigham Young home, as we currently know it, was built. So she built something that could stand for at least a few years. And stand for a few years. I, I mean, couldn't do that. <laughs> no. She had no. never done it before. The late Kimball said it could hardly be described as a shelter, but it kept them warm. And it's within this building, this log cabin, that Section 126 is received, in which Joseph Smith, the revelation to Brigham Young, says you don't have to leave your family anymore. Your sacrifice is recognized. Well, even though it's directed to Brigham Young, it's also recognized Mary Ann Angel Young of the sacrifice she and her children had to make. You know, that first year, she had no food. She had to row across the Mississippi River. She was living in Iowa just to see if someone would give With her— a two-month-old baby, Two-month-old right? baby oh, and no. rainstorms just to see if somebody would give her something to eat. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you just started telling these stories, and you think, my life isn't that hard. Totally. It really puts things in perspective. After all, so. I don't want to, like, steal anything you're going to say, but— I was about to bring up about Sani, how she built the barn or, yes. hired, you know, bought the logs and built the barn. And she's like, I hope you're not mad at me, but it's a lot easier here. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that story because Sani Lund, who's the wife of Anthony Lund, uh, who later is a member of the first presidency, she leaves and she finds that life is so difficult for her and her children. They're t- now taking over the responsibilities. And she's saying, you know, this is crazy that we don't have a barn. And she takes it upon herself to build a barn. And what I love is she writes her husband something to the effect of, you know, if you'd done this years ago, (laughs) we wouldn't have lost so much hay. You know, life would have been so much better. These women see these needs and take it upon themselves. And Karen, she's left the first winter, moved into new house. The roof is leaking. She says it upon herself to not only put a new roof on, but to make the first wooden floor in a home in Lehigh. Utah. Just, mm-hmm. Lehigh the settlement Utah. in Utah, right? They'd just taken it upon themselves. And this is what great is these women learned that they could do things, mm-hmm. that they could— They could uh, kind of take care of things, even though it wasn't ideal, right? But It wasn't ideal because at the time, men's role and women's role were so much defined. You know, men were outside the house, but women could do these things. And it gave them courage. One of the ones, Dorothy Pechtel, her daughter said, well, she learned that if she wanted a wall moved in later life, she could move a wall. (laughs) She learned that as a missionary wife, the things that she did while her husband was away. And I just think that's probably so amazing for the children to kind of, I mean, it would be horrible for a child. Suddenly your dad's gone. You don't have any communication with him and you see your mom struggling. You know, that would be really difficult, I think. But then it's neat because they get to see their moms in a lot of cases kind of go through this transformation and it probably gave them a lot of confidence too. They had to contribute to the household probably a lot more than they would have had to had there been their two parents home. Yeah, exactly. You know, they learned new tasks. They also did a lot of assignments and being Typical kids, the stories we have, they started out gung-ho, 
<laughs> when the parents enthusiastic. Are enthusiastic, I can do this. And later on, they would still do it, but it required a little more prodding of mom to get them to do the tasks. You know, one of my favorite missionary wives, just because she left a lot of records, is Saini Lunn. Mm -hmm. And she writes about what her kids' attitudes are. And, you know, our garden looks great, or it would if I could get the kids to go out and weed. But <laughs> Pretty relatable, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's the situations today, so. Mm -hmm. um, Something else I'd love for you to share with our listeners Another very relatable thing that Saini wrote, reprimanding her husband when he encouraged her to just look on the bright side and to cheer up a little bit when she had corresponded with him about the challenges. Yeah, Saini regularly wrote her husband, and in some of her letters, she said things like, I have all I can do to take care of the children look after things. Some days everything goes wrong, and other days it's not so bad. <laughs> Anthony, it is not all fun for me. I think you have slipped out on lots of work. <laughs> I often think there can be nowhere you are needed worse than here. And then one I love, I may not write to suit you, Anthem, but I get tired of being man and woman both. And then she writes, which I think is one of the great letters all time. Uh, <laughs> I smile every time I even think about it, let alone read it. I'll, I'll read it to you, at least portion of it. Yes, please. You tell me to look on the bright side of life. I try but I don't find any very bright side. <laughs> I often wonder if you were tied at home with the children and work and sickness and had to stay with it night and day and me 7,000 miles away, how bright the picture would be for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you would feel as good as you do. I have my doubts about it, and I think you would be looking around to find a wife to help you out. <laughs> it is quite different with you. You can have it quiet and nice and go to bed when you feel like it, sleep good all night, get up, not a child to dress or bother with, and when you feel like doing so, you can take a walk, no baby to carry with you. It is all very well to write and say, don't work, but the children must have clothes and food, and it takes work, and they must be waited on in sickness, and it all wears me out. I should say so. <laughs> yes. Wow. It's just interesting because... It's so relatable, and it makes their experience so real to even share anything about it. I wish we had more. Yeah, I do too. You know, just certain things that they talk about how difficult it is to write a letter because they have to take care of the children and do the work. And Well, and that and, it's just another job to do, to write a, a letter. It's mm -hmm. another job that's added on top of everything else. You know, and they talk about my life is so boring. Yeah. I've had missionary kids, and I find the same thing. I don't know what to write. Circumstances are somewhat different, but I can relate to it totally, what they're saying. And the loneliness. You know, thinking about these women didn't have the connection that we have today through technology, and they were also physically very separated from other people. So to have their spouse or to not have an adult, just the very real loneliness. It, and it was real. That, that was a common theme through every single one was how lonely it was at night. Because, you know, as you say, there's no TV, there's no internet. It's your dark. neighbor dark. Mm -hmm. Your neighbors are maybe miles away. And it's Sundays and all day long you have to just sit there and one of them, I think it was saying he said, I have to be my own entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it gets tiring because it's a whole different situation that these women had to deal with it. And their husbands maybe have a companion. They were meeting people all the time. But these women were by themselves. I mean, they literally were alone. Mm-hmm. 
One of the things I loved is that in Lehigh, Utah, they established a missionary wife society so that these women could get together on a regular basis to share their feelings, to talk about what it was like to be a missionary wife. I mean, they could talk to other people in the community, but they couldn't relate to what they were going through unless they'd been a missionary wife. Have that empathy for their situation. Yeah, I can imagine that emotional support would go a long way. Yeah. Yes. And I know you wrote that the church leaders and the Relief Society sisters, they were charged to care for these women. And I really liked reading about there was a woman who didn't get out of her house much. And so the Relief Society came to her. Maybe you could tell about that experience. Yeah, Matilda Hensey. She talks about how that she had had a baby. She couldn't get out because of sickness. And I thought this was so inspired. The Relief Society would get together on a regular basis. And knowing that she couldn't get out, they held their meeting at her house. Yeah. So that she could have that social. I mean, they were thinking outside the box, to use yes. a contemporary term. And so often these women's talk about the bishop and others would support them. But it was a mixed bag. I mean, it's not unlike today. Yeah, yeah. Ministering was not perfect. <laughs> even, even, <laughs> even then, then even, even now. now. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, one of the favorite stories is I have where a bishop asked what were called the war teachers at the time to go to each of the missionary wives' house and ask them how they were doing. Mm-hmm. Said, and they'd say, oh, that's great. We don't need any help. And he said, well, you won't mind because the bishop asked me to check your cupboards. To make sure that is truly the case. And, yeah. And in one situation, these wives said, you know, we were down to nothing. It was a plural marriage. And he provided them with some food. Uh, others stepped forward when they found out their situation. And I think it's one of the greatest lines that she wrote is that his name will always be held in honorable remembrance in our family for the fact that he was watching out and ministering unto Kind of fulfilling that responsibility and then going the extra mile to say, no, I'm really going to check and see and make sure. And it wasn't just, I'll tell the bishop. He did his part as well. So you have a section about miracles, and there was one that makes me cry because this guy that brought her flower, he's like, oh, I wanted to bring you this flower I owe you. And she said, you don't owe me any flower. And he said, I owe every missionary's wife some flower. Do do you mind telling that story? No, I love the story. Alice Spendlove was a young mother. She had four children. When her husband left on the mission, she moved in with her parents. And then right before he was to come back, she moved back home. And she soon ran out of food. As she tells the story, on the last day uh, that her flower gave out, she told her children, I think the oldest was 11, that you need to pray very sincerely that the Lord will provide. And so the children go to bed. And she said she's staying up that night, sewing a dress, hoping that she could sell it that somebody would then give her some money so she could get buy some flour. And she said it was well past midnight when there was a knock on her door. I'm sorry. And uh, a fellow named George Meekham is standing there. He's a local member. Uh, She asked what he's doing. He says, like, come by to give the flour I owe you. And she says, you don't owe me any flour. And he said, yes, I made a commitment that I'd give every missionary wife a sack of flour, and I'm just coming back from the meal, and I saw your light on, and so I thought I would stop and give you this flour. And she said we then had enough flour to last us until her husband got home. It's truly a miracle story that I love. Mm-hmm. I also love the uh, one of the stories that I think is just incredible is the story of Sarah Peterson. Her husband was called on a mission, and she was left to grow their family's wheat for the first time. And when he left, I think he was 
understood that the local elders quorum, high priest, local uh, men would help her. And when nobody shows up to do that, she's left to plant the wheat herself. And so she goes through and tills the field, plants the wheat. And it's only at that point that some of the men in the community show up and only then to tell her that she's planted her wheat wrong. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Where were you when I needed you? But, you know, so you planted it too late in the year. You planted it too deep. And I don't know all of Sarah's feelings, but you got to think that she's just heartbroken because this is what her family's going to need to live on. It's pretty dire, right? It's pretty dire. There's no store to go to. You have to provide by yourself. And so soon everybody's wheat in the community is growing but her own. And this is one of those years of the infamous Mormon crickets. Hmm. And the Mormon crickets come through and destroy basically all the fields of wheat in the community. And, you know, in spite of the best efforts, the wheat crop is basically destroyed. And it is only after the crickets have gone that Sarah's wheat begins to grow. Oh, wow. And so basically, her wheat now becomes the salvation of the community. If there's going to be food, it is her wheat crop that will rely on this. And one day, she took her son, who was five years old, with her course of the field for the water turn. And in the middle of the water turn, the water quits flowing. And so she sends her five-year-old son up to see what has become of the water. And soon the water starts again, but her son does not return. And she becomes very nervous, as any mother would be. She goes up to this field, and she finds her son sitting in the irrigation ditch. The dam had broken. He couldn't repair it. But knowing how much they needed the water... He sat in the ditch and became the dam mm -hmm. to redirect the water. What I love about this is that Sarah lovingly takes her son and pulls him out of the ditch and, and says to him, Oh, Peter, what a good little damn boy you are. <laughs> <laughs> and her, But her temp of humor was lost on this boy. He said, well, I was just trying to, you know. He thought he was being reprimanded. He or... thought he was being reprimanded, a five-year-old. You know, I was just trying to help. He says, but next time... Just understand, you're the only man I've got in my life right now. You might have drowned or something mm -hmm. like this. But as a result of both Peter's efforts and Sarah's efforts, there was enough wheat for her family, and she was able to share it with the community. Mm -hmm. wow. And her husband, when he got home, he was given a little jar of wheat that he kept the remainder of his life, and he was buried with that wheat. And in my study at home, I have created a little jar of wheat, salvation wheat, to remind myself that, hey, you know, I may not have planted my crops early enough, or I might have planted them too late or too deep. Done or it correctly. I may not have done it correctly, but the Lord can use us if we're willing to plant the crops or, or, or do whatever we can. He used a missionary wife widow, just like he used those in the Old Testament to save their people. And I think it's a very inspiring story. So inspiring and so beautiful. And I'm just like, have tears in my eyes from her little boy sitting in the water. <laughs> just, it's amazing to me that they all just did what they could. 
Yeah. And the, these stories are so inspiring because it's like these are real these are real people, they're real lives, real experiences, mm-hmm. and it is inspiring that although there aren't tons and tons and tons of records of these women, we're so lucky to have the records that we do to be able to learn about their experiences and their strength and their faith and their testimony and seeing how the Lord stepped in in this case of this woman and helped make enough of what was needed. Yeah. It is wonderful stories. And the nice thing about it is, you know, years ago, J. Reuben Clark gave this wonderful talk to them of the last wagon. He talked about his mother, who was a widow. She was frequently the last wagon into camp, the one who, just the average saint. Mm -hmm. And too often our history is focused upon the top. We're not looking at the average saints. And that's what I love about these wives is that they're us. They're the average Latter-day Saint. But taken together and hearing their stories, it's remarkable. And we wouldn't be where we are today without them. And so I think that's kind of reassuring to our listeners, too, who just might think they're an average saint. You know, it's kind of a reminder that Heavenly Father will use our talents and just our circumstances to to multiply Mm -hmm. our efforts and just build the kingdom of God with what we've got. And we may not recognize it, but... Our faith is built upon their faith. Mm -hmm. We have built it upon the faith of these missionary wives as much as we did upon their missionary husbands. definitely. And I just say sacrifice. You know, we look at them, the lessons of sacrifice. These are some of the lessons that make Latter-day Saints, I believe, unique today. These lessons that we learn from them. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think, too, it's so fascinating. So the span of time that men were leaving their families on missions, tell us again the years that that was happening. You know, from the very first, the 1830s, mm-hmm. the last ones we have record of were in the 1950s. Wow. So or, you have That like, wasn't that long ago. Well, and no. you have multiple generations. I yeah. know you said in your essay, some people were, were children whose fathers left on missions, and then they grew up and they were either the spouses, the wives of men who went yes. on missions, mm-hmm. or they themselves went on missions. Yeah. And yet you think of these generations that make this sacrifice. Yeah, and Joseph Smith Tanner was born when his father was on a mission, and then his daughter was born when he was on a mission. Yeah, I can't imagine. And his daughter wrote the music to I Am a Child of God, and every time I hear that song, part of what I think about is not me, but those who went before and have Mm -hmm. set this legacy for us as Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to be a downer, but I found this to also be very sad in that as these men were leaving on missions, there was, I'm sure, a very real concern that they wouldn't see each other again because of the risk of travel or sickness or just the hardship of life at that time, that that was real. You know, whereas today that's maybe more of a rare thing, but it was probably a real concern for them. It was Mm -hmm. a very real concern. I mean, of those that I look at, and it's only a handful, death was common Mm -hmm. among them. You'd lose a child. You would lose a husband or wife would get sick. You know, there's a case of... In childbirth. In childbirth. Mm -hmm. Women giving... Their husbands are gone. They die in in childbirth. Um, You know, it it is part of life. You know, sacrifice. Anna Mary Nelson Olson, when her husband got home, she survived as long as he did on his mission, but died just a couple of... Oh, no. A couple of days later... And they thought she'd worked herself to death, having to do all this responsibility on this mission. And Saini wrote of James, Mary's husband. He wrote that James had little thought that his happiest day and his darkest day would be so close together. Wow. They had a reunion, but there were those who greeted their husband's coffin. Mm-hmm. And there's one woman, her name is 
Catherine Stevens, her husband, died on the mission. And she wrote later on summarizing this. And it's a downer, but I think it's so real how you would feel. She wrote, I'd literally collapsed in shock upon hearing the news. This was one separation and death that I was not prepared to meet. George and I knew the meaning and value of prayers, and we had kept ourselves united in and through them. While he was in the mission field, I used to gather our children around me and give fervent thanks to the Lord for all that we were and had, and for such a spiritually-minded husband who would leave us for the gospel's sake to do the Lord's will. But when he was taken so abruptly from us, I lost faith in prayer and ceased praying. How could I? What did I have further to pray for? I continued to have the children say their humble and sincere prayers, and I shed tears as I listened to them, but I couldn't bring myself to say thanks to the Lord. Many months later, and after our good word members held some fast in my behalf, I bowed myself in humble prayer and thanked him for what I had left in my children, home, and the capacity to work. And I appreciate the honesty mm-hmm. because yes. that is a feeling that I think so many of us. Oh, yeah, because tragedy is a part of life. Tragedy mm-hmm. is a part of life. And she was able to get through this not just because of her faith in God, which wavered at the moment, but because of there were those who were willing to help her. Her community, right? Her community. Mm-hmm. And those who died, we have women who became widows at 21 years with their husband dying on a mission that would not remarry and the sacrifices they made, but they did leave that legacy of faith. It's incredible. And I think this leads right into this discussion of sacrifice. Thank heavens we don't have to make these same sacrifices. But for you, what is the role of sacrifice for them? And it makes us think about, okay, I don't have to sacrifice like that, but I do make sacrifices for my faith. And I guess kind of what is the purpose of that? Well, it's that refining fire that we talk about, that we grow closer to God, that we become better individuals. But, you know, one of the things I'm reminded of this is that years ago when I was in a bishopric sitting on the stand watching my wife struggle with our young kids, mm-hmm. and the best I could do was try to give them that skunk eye, you know, yes. to, <laughs> to try to get them to behave, and it didn't always work. But sacrifice has always been required of the Latter-day Saints and various things. And and we're doing our own sacrifice in that regard. And I hope the women out there are writing their experiences about what it is like to make similar sacrifices to support missionaries. To serve in various capacities. Serve in various Mm -hmm. capacities. That these records are being kept as well. That they will be an inspiration to further generations. That the torch has been passed down the line to us. So... I think that's beautiful because I just feel like sometimes our lives are so different from the early saints in so many ways. And it's easy for me to kind of feel separate from them. Some distance. Some distance because it just happened so long ago. You didn't build a barn this weekend? No, I didn't. I didn't build a barn or a home. (laughs) But Chad, I'm just wondering from your research and expertise, how can we feel connected to the wives of the early missionaries? You know, what can we learn from them? I hate to start out with the cliche that we can do hard things. That seems to be a very popular phrase nowadays. We can start out that others have done it. We can do that as well. That there are some blessings of having your faith somewhat tried. 
it is through this that we grow and we have chances to grow closer to our Heavenly Father. It's frequently when we're in these situations that we go to our knees. You know, we wish we did it all the time, but frequently when we're tried, that's when we pray and ask Heavenly Father for help, for guidance. That there's always hope, the, the importance of community, that we are all in this together, that it's not just a husband out there, but it's a wife, and hopefully it's a community that is supporting them. We need a community to support us just as much as they needed their community to help and support them. One of the women, I, I think this is great, she, uh, she wrote to Joseph F. Smith, and she asked a question that I think thousands of women had asked before or after, but she's the only one who dared write to the president <laughs> of the church. She wrote, and she just asked about how a mother with four small children and a husband on a mission who needed money could do it. And I don't know what his response is because his letter is not extant. But he wrote on her letter, it is only when people have faith to do such things that it is possible. And that is something that I'm kind of reminded of, that these women had to have that faith. And it was developed deep inside them and their children, and it was passed on to the next generation and continues to be passed on today. DNC 4, heart, might, mind, and strength. It was required of these women as much as it was required of their husbands. And even today, we view that as a missionary scripture, but it's really anybody in the service of God is required of that, whether it's going out in the field or staying at home or whatever it is. The Lord requires that of all of us. Oh, Chad, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion. And I think it's important to mention, too, that there are many of us who have this pioneer heritage. You know, even if we don't have direct ancestors, this is our heritage as members of the church. But also, we know that there are pioneers in every land, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And there are women who make different sacrifices, but equally demanding on their faith all over the world in all times of the church's history, even today. And it's an amazing and strengthening legacy that we have. It is. Circumstances may change, but that sacrifice and the faith that is needed it always remains a constant. It's something so inspiring to be part of. Definitely. So, Chad, thank you again thank so you. much for being here and for sharing your expertise with us. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share the episodes with your friends and family members. We've been so grateful to hear from so many listeners via email and on Apple podcast reviews, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So please continue to tune in, subscribe, and share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. We also want to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. And until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks again for listening. Mm -hmm.